We've come to the fourth sermon in our Advent series, and there's been a consistent message that is carried through each text that we've looked at. And so it's the consistent message is that God keeps his promises. We've looked at God's overarching song of creation. That's what we did the first week, weekend after Thanksgiving, how humanity wrecked this, and he promised to reorchestrate it, how he promised to retune it. We've looked at Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah who would bring peace on earth, something that was written nearly 800 years before his birth. Uh, From there, we went to eight months before his birth, and we looked at Mary's song, this serious song sung by a serious woman of faith, a song about justice prevailing, the hungry being fed, the proud being toppled from their thrones, and God remembering his promises. And the season of Advent is one where we remember the wait, right? The wait for God to do what he said he's going to do. We remember the wait before Jesus came, and we remember our wait as we wait for him to return and make all things new. Because the way it is today is not the way it's supposed to be, right? Can we all agree on that? And what's special about Advent, what's, what's, a, what's unique about observing this part of the historic church calendar is that it makes space for the spectrum of human emotion. Right? That's why we choose a month of Advent over a month of Christmas. Right? Christmas is a day. Advent is the wait leading up to that day. Right? Waiting is a journey of highs and lows, right? of suffering and encouragement, of, of feeling downtrodden and feeling elevated. Right? As we wait, we have these moments of joy. We have these moments of despair and longing, right? moments when we're encouraged, moments when we feel defeated. And while we wait, our hearts hopefully move toward the hope ahead the way a plant would grow toward the sun. At the same time, our minds are weighed down with the trouble of today. This is all year long, right? It's not just during the Advent season. Uh, But Advent in particular, it makes space in the calendar to acknowledge that, right? To acknowledge that with the intention of bringing it all under the grace of God. Advent is our reminder that God keeps his promises. And in times that range from dark to darkest, a promise might be all you have to cling to. Right On this side of heaven, God speaks promises to pain. God speaks promises to pain. That's the balm that he's given his people for their wounds. Right, And it becomes very important that we know exactly what those promises are. Right, Because these are the things we can trust him for. Right, These are the things that we can be assured of. I read a line the other day uh, that said, you can't trust God to keep you safe. And it, it made me perk up. I, I, I thought, that can't be right. right? I, I mean, that's my first initial thought, was that can't be right. I like hearing a sentence that says, you can't trust God for blank feels wrong. But uh, the author was right. As I thought about it more, the author was right. God hasn't asked you to trust him for things that he hasn't promised you. And physical safety for today on earth is not a promise, right? We can certainly pray for that. We should certainly pray for that. And God will answer according to his will, but that's not a promise for today. 
Because even so, we understand that 10 out of 10 of us will die someday. Right? That's actually a promise from God found all the way back in the book of Genesis. So we, do we expect when we pray for God to spare us from that altogether? Right? He hasn't promised that. Now, what he has promised extends beyond death and into eternal life. And so we're looking at Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25 today, and we're jumping ahead to when Jesus was about a month and a half old. Uh, if you got the email this week and the weekly sync and you saw that we were preaching on Zechariah's song, I changed my mind and decided that Simeon's song, I felt like that was going to be more pertinent today. And so we'll get to Jesus's birth on Christmas Eve, but for now we're jumping ahead like 40 days or so and looking at his interaction with Simeon. And so God makes a special promise to an old, old man named Simeon. Right? No one knows how old he is, but tradition says he's very, very old. And if he's that old, we can assume that he's been waiting a long time for this promise. And God's promise is that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Right? And God's promise comes to him like a gift, right? in, a, in the form of a little baby. And out of joy, he's going to sing a short song, uh, and we're going to look at that song, Simeon's Song. That's the song, because we're walking through the songs of Advent, Simeon's Song. Simeon's going to sing about this gift that God has given him and that he's given the world. And we're going to see that this, gift, it can, that this gift consoles, right? It's a gift that consoles. We're going to see that it's a gift for all. And we're going to see that it's a gift that divides. And so that's our roadmap through this passage this morning. Jesus is a gift that consoles. He's a gift that for all, and he's a gift that divides. Let's start with a little background. So at this point, Jesus has been born. He's probably around two months old since there was a 40-day period of purification that took place after his birth. So at least that amount of time has passed. And Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. This was a command that God gave Israel, uh, that parents would dedicate their firstborn sons to the Lord. And so as faithful Israelites, they bring Jesus to the temple. And it's here where we meet Simeon in Luke 2, verse 25. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So Simeon was a faithful man of God who was waiting for Israel's consolation. Now, what does that, what does that mean? Well, first of all, consolation is the lifting of spirits. Right? It's comfort, especially after loss or disappointment. Right? And Israel had suffered some major losses. Right? We talked about that when we looked at the prophetic song in Isaiah about the Messiah's coming. In the 800 years between Isaiah and Simeon, the losses for Israel were almost too many to count. Right? Defeats, exiles, bad kings, tossed from one oppressor to another. 400 years of silence between Jesus and the last prophecy of the Old Testament. Right? Darkness and silence. And it's, it's not random. It's, it's the result of Israel as a nation turning away from God, rejecting him. That's not to say that there were no faithful people in Israel. There were a few, right? And we get to see Simeon today. He's one of them. 
When Israel is under Roman rule and occupation, Simeon is waiting for the Messiah. Right? They're being treated as inferior in their own country. They're always bracing themselves for what's going to come next from Caesar. Simeon is waiting for Israel's consolation, comfort from God, forgiveness from God, salvation from God. And when Luke talks about Israel's consolation, what he's doing is hearkening back to this prophecy in Isaiah, uh, this prophet again from centuries before. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah delivers this message to Israel. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So Simeon is waiting for the hard service to be over. He's waiting for tenderness. He's waiting for his sins and the sins of his country to be forgiven. And Luke writes this in verse 25, and he writes that the Holy Spirit was on him. Right? So the Holy Spirit rested on this man. And, and just from other times in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit is on someone, that's a, uh, an indicator to us that tells us that God is about to communicate something. Right? He's about to communicate something important to or through this person. And sure enough, in the next verse, he tells us, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So God hears Simeon's heart. He picks this guy who otherwise seems random to us, right? And he gives him a special gift. He promises him that he will not die before he sees the Lord's Messiah, before he sees Israel's consolation. And you have to wonder how this guy felt each birthday, right, as he got older. Uh, again, we don't know how old he is, but say he even hit 90, which is very unusual for back then. Thinking, will this be the year? Right? It, it must be the year. How much older can I get? Right? There's this theme of waiting. Right? God makes us wait. We don't like that, but God makes us wait. Then in verse 27, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit guided Simeon into the temple uh, the very day that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus for his dedication. And then he sees Jesus. Right? He sees him and he recognizes him. And verse 28 says that he takes him up in his arms and he praises God. So guided by the Holy Spirit, he recognizes Jesus, this baby, as the Messiah, Israel's consolation in the very temple of God. And his song begins in verse 29. Now, Master... You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. He's ready to die. Remember that prophecy from Isaiah. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of service is over. Time of hard service is over. And Simeon tells God, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. I'm ready to go now. This is a man whose heart is broken for his people and his nation, right? And when he sees this baby, he knows that it's going to be okay, right? He doesn't know all the details, but he knows that it's going to be okay. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren wrote a book called Prayer in the Night, and in it she talks about a particular hard year of her life where she and her husband had two miscarriages, one that threatened her own life, on top of that, her father unexpectedly died in his sleep that year, 
Uh, and the weight of all this was fraying her marriage at the edges. She talks about how she and her husband took some time away together and, and they, uh, while they were away, they went to this souvenir shop and they saw this magnet and it said, it will all be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And I have to say that if I saw that magnet in a store before reading her book, I would have probably rolled my eyes. Right? I would have probably placed it up there with other sunny side, silver lining, kind of toxic positivity thing like a random let go and let God or, or something like that. Um, but it's actually true. Right? If it's not okay, it's not the end. Right? God has promised that it will be okay in the end. Right? The problem comes when we misinterpret what the end is. Right? Are we talking about the end of the day? Are we talking about the end of 10 days? Are we talking about the end of my work day, the end of a particular struggle? What is the end? Right? Simeon knew what the end was. And when he held up this baby, the word to him was, it's going to be okay in the end. Israel's consolation is here. Right. Simeon says, now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Why? He says in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He looks at Jesus. He looks at this baby and he sees salvation. So what's on your list of things that you want to see or do before you die? Right. If you think about your bucket list and when you think about it, do you think you'll really be ready to depart in peace after you see or do them? Right? I'll be honest. If I go down that track, if I make that the basis for my peace for departure, for lack of a better term, I know that even after I see what I want to see, even after I experience what I want to experience, even after I learn what I want to learn, I'm going to want more time. I'm going to want more seeing. I'm going to want more learning. I'm going to want more experiencing, right? If these are my basis for saying, I can now depart in peace, I will never depart in peace. In, in 2012, uh, when we were getting married, we, of course, invited uh, Leanna's great-grandmother to our wedding. She lives in Miami, and she was 91 then. And uh, getting on a plane from warm Florida for, to uh, cold New England is uh, not super practical for a 91-year-old, right? And she understandably wasn't able to come. Uh, and thankfully, we got a chance to visit her in Miami when we were coming home from our honeymoon. And I'll always remember what she said jokingly to me. She said, I always ask the Lord, let me live long enough to see Leanna get married. Then she told us that if she had come to the wedding, perhaps the Lord would keep his promise and take her home right after. Right? And so she changed her prayer to, Lord, let me live long enough to see the next child get married. And so far, her plan has worked out. She, she just turned 100. We visited her a few months ago to celebrate that. Uh, but you see, right, that's all of us. Right? She's not alone. Most of us are going to want more, right? More time with kids, more time with grandkids, more time with friends, more time to figure out who we are, to figure out what we're made to do, what are we good at, to find our place. Right? Death is always loss. 
But Simeon sees an end that's beyond the span of his long life. He sees salvation. And what does that mean, salvation? At this point in Luke's gospel, we haven't even uh, been introduced to some of the themes of salvation, these specific promises yet that Jesus talks about. Simeon never got to hear the beautiful words of Jesus spoken in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Simeon didn't get to hear those words. When he says salvation, what he knows is the salvation that was promised in the Old Testament. What he knows is the salvation of his nation and his people and ultimately the whole world. God's forgiveness for our sin. Reconciliation with God. Restoration of all the broken things. The removal of disgrace. These get fleshed out later in Luke's gospel and later in scripture. But Simeon, he's not talking about individual salvation alone. He's talking about worldwide salvation, worldwide peace. The lion laying down with the lamb. Seen in Isaiah 11. Predators snuggling with their prey. Right? Weapons being recycled into gardening equipment. Isaiah 2. Right? People pushing plows together instead of running swords through one another. And a righteous king on the throne. Right? So all that's wrapped up in the gift of this baby. Right? The birth of Jesus brought consolation. It brings consolation. It says to us, if it's not okay, it's not the end. Right? This gift brings consolation, and this gift is a gift for all. Simeon says that in the next line of this song. He says, I have seen your salvation. And then he says, you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. Now, as you can guess from how widespread the Christmas story is, this wasn't a hidden or secret event, right? Jesus went from town to town, even during his ministry on earth, sharing about himself. Even before he died, he sent out many disciples to go and spread the word. He died during Passover when Jerusalem was filled with people celebrating from many nations, right? Romans, not just Jewish people, watched him die on the cross. And when he was raised, he told his disciples to go into all the world. He told them to share the good news of his salvation, to be his witnesses to those in Israel, but also to the ends of the earth. This was not a secret, right? This was before all peoples. God has prepared his salvation in the presence of all peoples. The nations are invited to the promise. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. That's verse 32. A light of revelation for the Gentiles. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the Messiah would be a light shining into the darkness. Uh, And the Gentiles, that's just a word for non-Jewish people. That's a word for the nations, right? A light of revelation to the nations. And what does that mean? Well, we see Israel, especially ancient Israel, as really important because that's the history of our faith, right? And we know the wonder of this nation that was meant uh, to be a light to the surrounding nations, right? A nation chosen by God. So much of what we know about God actually comes from our interactions with the history of Israel in the Bible. 
But Israel wasn't as important or well-known to the nations uh, that were surrounding it back in the day, right? We know a lot about it. Uh, they were small, right? They were, among world religions, they weren't very trendy, right? In fact, they stood out a little bit. God called them to be different. Uh, it's not like it was common for the surrounding world to know all of Israel's story, to know the story of their God, to know the scriptures. They weren't floating around the world the way they are today. They were kept there, right? And so if you think about it, the nations were largely in the dark about who God was. If you weren't part of Israel, you likely didn't know who God was. You were disconnected from the people of God. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians that the Gentiles were without hope and without God in the world. So that's us, right? That's most of us. Uh, but here comes Jesus, right? A light of revelation to the Gentiles. He was going to open the gates. And, and not just that, he was going to pursue the nations with his love, with his message. And most of us in this room are Gentiles, right? Goyim in Hebrew, as Israelites would have called us. But here's Simeon. That's why I said most of us. But here's Simeon saying the salvation of Jesus transcends ethnic and national barriers, right? It's for all. It's for you. It's for me. It's for anyone who believes in the Son of God, anyone who believes in Jesus. And that still includes Israel, right? It still includes Jewish people. Not only does it include them, but Simeon says... This salvation is glory to your people, Israel. Why is it glory to them? See, the same way Mary was honored to carry Jesus, the Messiah, in her womb, right? the same way she was considered highly favored by God, chosen as an undeserved recipient of his grace, right? Israel was the nation that brought the world Jesus. Right? In the same way Mary will be remembered as Jesus' mother forever, Israel will always be remembered as his earthly heritage. That's the glory to Israel. He is the king of Israel, seated on the throne of David. Right? They waited, and he came. And God's way of blessing the nations through Israel turned out to be through this baby boy, through Jesus, through the Messiah who Simeon held in his very arms, right? This baby that caused him to burst into song, this baby that allowed him to die in peace. That's how he finishes his song. And, and Mary and Joseph, they're amazed by what they're hearing. It's one thing after another for them when it comes to this baby. It's song after song in the book of Luke, talking about the wonderful things that are going to happen through this baby. And they knew who Jesus was, right? But they still marveled, right? It's not that Mary didn't know any of this. We just heard a song where she sang some pretty amazing things last week, right? They knew, but they still marveled. See, even if you're a believer in this room, even if you know Jesus, we can still marvel at the magnitude of God's plan through Jesus, right? Even if we already know it. That's sort of what we're here to do every Sunday, right? We come together to talk about some of things that we already know, right? Some things you might be hearing for the first time, right? But for believers, you're going to hear something probably that you already know, particularly the gospel, which we will share over and over every Sunday. 
right? We come and we hear them and we marvel at the work of God together and we respond in worship and awe to him, right? Jesus is the gift that brings consolation. He's the gift for the whole world. And Simeon is now going to tell us and he's going to tell Mary uh, that he's the gift that divides, what does that mean? See, amazing as all this is, not everyone believes it, right? And not everybody thinks it's amazing. Simeon blesses the parents uh, of Jesus, and he tells Mary in verse 34, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is a gift that divides, right? See, anyone can get behind a cheery bumper sticker or a vague saying on a magnet, right? People might nod when, uh, when you say, let go and let God, but when you mention the name of Jesus, things usually take a turn, right? Jesus is divisive. In a significant way, he unifies, right, across nation, Right? The church spans ethnicity, nation, race, age, you name it. Right, He unifies, but at the same time, he divides. Right? Because when you mention Jesus, what you're doing is you are putting a face to the name of God. You're affirming some very specific things about God. And the number one issue is our need for salvation. Right? Our need for a Savior, and that he, Jesus, is that Savior. That's our issue today, and that was the issue back in Simeon's day, right? He says Jesus will be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel, and he's going to be a sign that will be opposed. Last week, we talked about a big truth that runs through Scripture. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble, right? That's all over Scripture. And when Simeon talks about the rise and fall of many, he's probably talking about this, Right? And we see it. We see it throughout Jesus' ministry in the gospel accounts. Jesus, he spends his time with the people that the super-religious call sinners. Right? He eats with despised tax collectors, the folks that were the thieves of their day. He lets women with bad reputations touch him, cry at his feet. Right? He heals children. Over and again, he's seen elevating the humble. But then the proud, right, the religious leaders, they hate all that he does. And they can think, they think that they have no sin at all, right, that they have no need for a savior. In Jesus, he calls them vipers. He calls them snakes. He calls them sinners. He calls them wicked. God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And today, we're not in ancient Israel, right? But we have our own version of religious leaders, right? Often, they're people in the church who think that they have it all figured out, right? Who elevate themselves above others and think that they're just innately more lovable to God than other people. But there's another kind of religious zealot that maybe we don't talk about either, and that's in the secular world, right? They think that they're all set. Right? They think they have no need for a Savior. They think that they're either sinless or that their sins have no bearing on their relationship with God or potentially believing that there's no God at all. When the Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, none of us, none of us are there, right? Romans 3, 23. This is why we need a Savior. Right? Not just for ourselves, but for the whole world. 
because our sin destroys not just ourselves, but creation itself, right? It has impacts, global impacts. And so Jesus divides because by nature of his existence, he requires us to do something with him, right? He requires us either to toss him out or to invite him in, to either disregard him or to look at him and say, like Simeon says, my eyes have seen God's salvation. Simeon says Jesus will cause the thoughts of many hearts to be revealed, Israel was in for an awakening, right? And Jesus revealed the hearts of many people, right? He revealed the hearts of the humble who came to him in need and of the proud who rejected him. And he does the same exact thing today, right? Simeon tells Mary as he's saying all this, he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul. Well, this could mean a lot of things, right? But let's just look at Mary's future in Scripture, Right? We have the benefit of being able to follow the story beyond this point. Jesus' first major miracle, turning water into wine in the book of John, Mary comes to him and asks him to do this favor because this banquet, this wedding banquet, has run out of wine at this family wedding. And he basically tells her, your agenda is not my agenda. Right? He performs the miracle, but he pushes her to recalibrate that he's not only her son, but he's the son of God, that he's the Savior. There's a time in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, when Jesus is preaching in a home, and it's filled to the brim with people. It's early in his ministry, and crowds are starting to form. There's a commotion that's starting to take place. And it says when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said he's out of his mind. His mom and his brothers, they show up at the house. They wait outside to get him. And then he asks the crowd, who are my mothers and brothers? Whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother and sister. Right? It's one thing to know the facts, but it's another thing, and it's one thing to believe the words, but it's another thing to grapple with God's plan as it unfolds. Right? We know that Mary, in fact, became a disciple of Jesus. She was a believer, right? but maybe that progression was difficult for her as a mom. Right? And then, of course, she was kneeling at his cross when he died for her sin. Is that not a sword through the soul, right? Mystery bundled with grief. He died for her. He died for Simeon. He bought his peace with his blood. And he took God's punishment for the sin of Israel and for the sins of the nations. And he took God's punishment for my sin. And he took God's punishment for your sin, whoever you are, whatever you can think of. That was on the cross with him. God forgives. And he causes the rise and fall of many. So will you be elevated by him today? You are invited to be elevated by him. If you humble yourself and if we admit our need for a savior. Right? Have your eyes seen the salvation of God? What would it take for you to be able to say, I can depart in peace now. I know who I am. I know who God is. I know where I'm going, and I know who I'll be with. God doesn't promise us safety, but he does promise us salvation. And even if you're a believer, right, do you understand the foundation of faithfulness 
that Simeon had uh, to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit, right, into the temple, right? He had to have a foundation of faithfulness to even have this relationship with God, right, to look at Jesus, to hold him up and know exactly what it meant for him and the world. That didn't just come out of nowhere, right? He wasn't just this random guy. He watched for God. He knew scripture. He was able to draw from years of faithfulness. That's what made this moment so meaningful for him. That's why he's able to depart in peace, because he knew what he was waiting for. Right? What are you waiting for? Do you know what you're waiting for? Right? Will you know it when you're on the cusp of seeing it? Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. I think of this as like a spiritual savings account. Right. When, when the day of trouble comes, whether it's old age, a failing mind or a failing body, whether it's tragedy in your family, whether it's war, whether it's any kind of trauma, whether it's loss, it's really hard in those moments to remember your creator if you haven't built memories of him or with him. Right. And I, I as always, I include myself uh, as somebody who needs to hear this. Right. And so for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we would do well to invest today, right, to memorize his promises, to forge well-traveled neural pathways in our brains so that we can be reminded of God's love for us, so that we can be reminded of his promises, so that we can remind others, right, to push past fear, right, to step out in faith, to let God write our stories, to trust him. Right, that even if I make a mistake, he's gracious, right, and he's in control. That's a promise of his, right? Jesus is a gift of consolation. Jesus is a gift to the whole world, and Jesus is a gift that divides. What will you do with him?